Imagine you own a wooden boat. Let's call it the minnow. Over the years, different parts of the minnow wear out and have to be replaced. First, you have to replace the planks that make up the hull. Then you have to replace the porthole glass. Later, you have to replace the deck, and then the motor, and so on. At some point, you've replaced every single bit of the minnow, top to bottom, front to back. But if all the parts in the minnow are new, isn't it a new and different boat? Or do we keep calling it the minnow, even though it has none of the minnow's original parts? What makes the minnow the minnow? Maybe we'll find out on today's show. Hey everyone, welcome to You've Got It All Wrong, a philosophy podcast for handsome people like you. By popular request, I'm America's sweetheart, Mark Sanders. I'm Chad Allen. And I'm Paco Allen. Do you guys want to hear some more boat names? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Why do you sound, make it sound so suggestive? <laughs> yeah. The Codfather? <laughs> I was just about to ask you like, what category these boat names are, but these are just no. seemingly awesome boat names. Yeah, no. Okay. This, uh, right, no, keep going. Piece of Ship. Okay, not as good. Uh, ship for Brains. Mm. Are, can, is there a whole group that <laughs> well, are just like yeah, yeah, replacing that, ship for <laughs> Okay. Yeah, let's but, skip anything else. Unsinkable two. Uh, okay, wasn't that in The Simpsons? I don't Potent- know. Potentially, uh, okay. Tug life. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably my favorite so far. Fish isle, fish isle. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of dads writing these boat names. It's a lot of dad humor. Aquaholic. Okay. Mm. Okay, I, I'll save. I've got. I've got more. Um, I'm glad you should. I'm, <laughs> you're just gonna anytime the show slows down, you'll break in with some yeah, more yeah, j- yeah. boat names. No, I just okay. have a giant. I'm glad list. you chose the minnow. That yeah, was a, that was a blast from the past. Yeah, I have a story about where that name came from too. But I'm gonna save that because we should talk the a little minnow bit. reference from Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I came across that too. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, I'm going to be an interested participant, uh, having not watched any Gilligan's Island. What the fuck? I got like I went down a deep Gilligan's Island trivia and yeah, Island facts. Hole. I did too. I, on that story, in about... in fact, I did zero research on the ship of Theseus. <laughs> <laughs> you thought this episode uh, was just about Gilligan's well, Island? Well, no, but I that was the most interesting topic. Right. <laughs> just the, the, the production history of Gilligan's Island. Yeah, it's pretty okay. crazy, right? Okay. Um, so um, I just uh, let the cat out of the bag. And mentioned Ship of Theseus. Oh, right. So the intro, the Gilligan's Island minnow intro is a modified version it's of... like a rip-off. ...of the Ship of Theseus. Right. Chad, you want to get into the Ship of sure. Theseus? Sure. So, so the Ship of Theseus um, is uh, one of the sort of most famous and long-standing paradoxes in the history of philosophy. Um, the, 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 the story that we told about the minnow is usually told about... The ship of Theseus, that is the ship belonging to the mythical hero who founded the city of Athens. Um, Mark, do you want to ask me which Athens that is? <laughs> or which Theseus? <laughs> uh, Athens, Greece. Oh, Athens, Greece. Yeah, thank yeah, thank yeah. you for clearing that up. Yeah, I'll yeah. make a note of that. Um, and so... Uh, per- C- Perseus, pu- Perseus founded <laughs> Athens, Georgia. See previous episode. Um and so we get this story about uh, the ship of Theseus from uh, Plutarch, the Greek historian, 
um, who wrote a bunch of biographies in the first century AD about uh, mythical uh, Greek and Roman figures. Um, and so you may remember Theseus as the guy who had to find his way through the labyrinth and kill the Minotaur. And um, that all went down on the island of Crete. And then first, Theseus... he, first he had to get past David Bowie. <laughs> Right. Terrifying. Absolutely <laughs> terrifying. David Bowie and his sweet 80s hair. <laughs> and get, then he had to get past all the scary Jim Henson Muppets. Yeah. And finally, those were the mini And then he was like, oh, kill this Minotaur. Oh, <laughs> After all these nightmare-inducing Muppets, <laughs> this Minotaur is going to be cake. And so then he's got to get out of Dodge, and so he leaves Crete on his ship, the ship of Theseus, and sails back to Athens. Oops, forgot to put up the black flag, letting my dad know that I killed the Minotaur. <laughs> the white Sail ones. home with the white flag. What, is that part of the story? Yeah, yeah. like he, he was, he, he, told, he told his dad um, when he comes <laughs> back, uh, uh, I'm, if, if I'm successful, I'm going to sail back with this black flag up and so this white flag. No, the other way Opposite, yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, if I so I'm going to switch flag yeah. colors. I'm going to leave with black. <coughs> I'm going to come black, back with come white. Back, come back with a white flag. Is this where the name, the, the band Black Flag got its name? Uh, I, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Albini, big um, fan of Greek <laughs> mythology. Um, uh, so sa- basically sails back with the default flag, forgets to change the color of his flag. And his dad, like, I guess, waiting on the, the cliffs every day for his son to return sees the the wrong the wrong flag and and commits commits suicide jumps off the cliff yeah he he doesn't wait like next to like the mattress factory or the <laughs> the, the, the the feather down farm it's like oh, or just wait. wait for the boat to get home and right. like maybe they lost the other flag or right. there's a reasonable explanation for like anyways um yeah so uh theseus comes home on this boat Right, and then every victorious, victorious, having, slain the Minotaur, the and a bunch of other like history, blah blah blah. And so, in order to commemorate this great victory every year, the Athenians take this boat, the ship, out for a sail. Um, and over the years, you know, they do this once a year. Over the years, like the ship, uh, not surprisingly, starts to wear out. They have to replace it sort of plank by plank, piece by piece. Well, according to the myth, they sail it for like a couple centuries. Yeah, no, that's why they have to replace all this stuff because it just goes on and on. Right. And uh, It's also made out of balsa wood. Right. It's a really bad (laughs) idea. You know, balsa wood is technically a hardwood, not a softwood. I did not know that. That's, that's the only that's that's it. The end of the piece of trivia. <laughs> end trivia. <laughs> Did you know that tomatoes are a fruit? <laughs> All right. So okay. Okay. So I, so Plutarch kind of kicked off this whole debate that we're going to talk about today about identity and change and persistence of things over time. Uh, when he wrote that this ship became a standing example among the philosophers for the logical question of things that grow one side holding that the ship remained the same and the other contending that it was not the same. So that kind of sums up the ship of Theseus paradox in a nutshell. If we replace all of the parts of the ship over time, how can it really be the same ship? Because isn't the ship just like the things that it's made up of? Is it still the ship, same ship? If it's not the same ship, when did it stop being the same ship? Right. Um, And I think like the, the... the really interesting addendum paradox or addendum thought ex- experiment um, is what if as you were replacing all the pieces to the ship of Theseus, you kept 
all the original pieces in a warehouse. Right. And then when you were done replacing all the pieces, you rebuilt the original one with all the original pieces. Like, wouldn't that be the ship of Theseus versus the other one that got replaced? Yeah. Uh, piece by piece. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I think that, that just like uh, adds an exclamation point, I think, to the original thought experiment. Mark's brain is just exploding right now. I know. This is, <laughs> this is a fun one. I've been looking forward to this one. Um, okay. So how do we try to resolve this? Like one of the sort of first contemporary um, touchstones for this is, is Leibniz, who said um, roughly X is the same as Y if and only if X and Y have all the same properties and relations, such that whatever is true of X is also true of Y and vice versa. So the ship of Theseus is the ship of Theseus if ships at both times have the same mast or have the same planks. And that obviously doesn't help resolve this paradox because what Leibniz is essentially saying is that the ship really is identified with its component parts. And that as soon as any of those parts are changed or replaced, it's no longer the same ship. So So in some ways you could say like the minute after the ship was finished being built, it's not the ship of Theseus because somebody walked onto the ship and their boot or the crate they were carrying when they dropped it chipped a piece of wood off. And that tiny piece of wood is no longer part of the ship of Theseus. And therefore, its component parts are different than when it was yeah. finished being constructed. Like, if you take that argument and then, like, bring it into modern-day understanding of physics, tiny pieces of that ship are going to be changing on an almost ongoing basis to the point where as soon as you draw a line in the sand and say the ship of Theseus is done being built, a minute later, like, some piece of it yeah, is going to... That, that's if your view of the world is that the ship of... The, that the component parts of the ship of Theseus are, like, molecules or right. atoms, right? Right, But, but I mean, if I your view of the world is that the ship of Theseus is made up of component parts like masts and decks and hull planks, then it's, like, at least a little more durable, right? Right, I, but I, I feel like you kind of have to stand on one side of that argument or not g- in a general sense. And if you are, like, where do you draw that line? Yeah, I agree Like, with that. It, uh, a board? No, because you could chip a piece of board off. So, like, a component piece of that board yeah. or a molecule of that board or an atom of that board. Like, the line you draw is arbitrary in that sense. Yeah, so I said Leibniz was a, like, contemporary, uh, had formulated a contemporary response to this. But that's actually kind of false. I shouldn't have said that because he can sort of, like... Uh, almost completely misses the point. But there's sort of like a follow-up effort to take his thesis that um, X and Y are the same thing if they have the same properties and say, well, we can talk about properties as having um, temporality, right? So we can say that for to take the minnow, for example, say that um, like today it has like a sweet new Suzuki motor. And in 1970, it had like a crappy old Honda motor. And so we can say of this the... week's episode brought to you by Suzuki. <laughs> <laughs> Better so... than Honda. <laughs> um, so, uh, so the Minnow has the property of having had a Honda motor in 1970 and having a Suzuki motor in 2015. And so it always has those two properties. And so anything that has those two properties and, you know, all of the other properties of the minnow is the minnow. And so you can say that, like, um, even when that motor gets replaced or whatever, like, it's still true of the minnow that it had a Honda motor in the past and has a Suzuki motor now. 
so I, I I read I read that 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 temporal uh, axes uh, setup as described as the the worm theory, which was which was totally new to me. But I, I love the idea that uh, like a worm extending through time, the uh, the 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 temporal shape of the uh, of the constituent parts is just another axis that you measure the right. the nature of the attributes on. So, but I think you also have to make a decision during that process about which part you're going to consider still the minnow. So you've basically taken the motor off of the hull of the boat and you've made a decision that you're going to still call the hull of the boat and all the remaining parts the minnow, but not the engine. Right. Well, that's but the like engine the, was yeah. part of the original That's minnow. sort of like the reassembly of the ship, a thesis problem, right? Um, it's like, yeah. If I take, like... Only in the 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 reassembly of the ship of thesis version, you're taking all of the pieces of the original ship of thesis, which you've saved in a warehouse somewhere, and reassembling them. In in the I'm going to remove the Honda motor, you're removing one piece. So I think that some people will, um, you'll kind of like, in some way, intuitively say, well, there's like more of yeah. the ship that is the hull, and the motor's a smaller piece, but you're still making a decision based on some other like attribute like there's more mass of the ship yeah that is left over when you take the engine off than the engine so therefore like the engine isn't the ship of thesis anymore right the but if you took is. the honda motor off and the deck yeah right right and yeah. you use those to build another boat like sure. right there's some as as gladwell would say some kind of tipping point where right. mm. where the you know it becomes hard to say which boat is the minnow right probably f- uh, just p- purely from a semantic point of view than than an absolute point of view yeah, yeah i mean i think that that quote-unquote tipping point is going to be arbitrary so i wanted to bring up the worm theory again just to put this in context there's a great video by jennifer wang of the stanford philosophy department she describes the two situations we've been talking about as the a theory of the ship which is replaced piece by piece and is effectively a whole new ship but still we refer to as the ship of Theseus, and a, a, a B version of the ship, which is made of every piece of the constituent parts that were, were removed, and then a new ship was built using those parts. And ostensibly, there's two ships of Theseus at that point. Yeah. Um, so B theory, there's two ships of... So B, the B version, there's two ships B, Yeah, B is, B, B is rebuilt, and yep. A is built from new parts. Okay. Yeah. Um, and she describes from the uh, the worm theory approach, the, the temple approach, that... Actually, there's parts of the each of these ships which overlap each other and are both themselves the same ship, just expressed through through a different temporal axis, which is fascinating. Which you'll check out. Check yeah, out the show I'm notes. I'm pretty sure I watched that video. It's got like the whiteboard UPS yeah, commercial yeah. style thing. And when she got to that point, and then it was just like the the worm theory part where it split off into two ships of Theseus, and I was just like, I don't understand them. <laughs> all the words that you're saying are in english and they form perfect sentences but... it, it, it seemed to, to jump into an episode of lost at that point yeah right. um yeah i think like a lot of people use the vocabulary I think of... damon lindelof wrote <laughs> the c version of ship of thesis uh, a lot of people use the language of uh the original ship the remodeled ship which is the one where we keep adding new parts and the reassembled ship which is the one where we took the old parts and reassembled them into a ship. Um, Which would seem at that point that you're adding modifiers to the ship and therefore giving them new identities. Like all three of those things have 
new identities. So Leibniz wouldn't agree that X equals Y in that case? Uh, No, because I think he would say, well, because you can't really say that, right? You can't say that both of them are the ship of Theseus because there can only there can only be one ship of Theseus. To to use a a computer programming parlance, you could have a pointer to the same memory space but have two separate variables and you're just passing the value by reference. Paco's gonna edit out that super nerdy part. (laughs) No, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna add in some Highlander sound effects or theme song in the background. Oh no, I meant Mark's super nerdy part. No, not not the part where not the part where yeah. I was about to do a Sean Connery impersonation and then thought better of it. So the interesting follow up on the on the Leibniz approach, which is to say that. Um, you know, the ship of Theseus always has the property of having had the Honda motor in 1970 and always has the property of having had the Suzuki motor in 2015. Like the criticism of that is, well, then has does the ship of Theseus really ever change? If it always has all the same properties, then that doesn't sound like a thing that's changing at all. So I, in that view of the world, like there's not much to say about what would happen if, you know, once you have the remalt ship and the reassembled ship both sort of like sitting side by side in the harbor but i think that's like that scenario is the one you know to your earlier point paco which really kind of brings the paradox kind of into full light because now you like really now you really have to decide like which one of these are you going to call the ship of yeah. Yeah. Or, or at the other end of the spectrum i'm not sure if you're going to get to this but um the philosopher robert chisholm I'm uh, not going to get to that. <laughs> uh, describes the, the the situation as there's there's no unique ship at any given point. Right. Yeah, so there's a great quote from Wittgenstein along those lines. Um, in the Tractatus, he said that identity is not a relation between objects is obvious. Roughly speaking, to say of two things that they are identical is nonsense. And to say of one thing that it is identical with itself is to say nothing. Right. So he's sort of like trying to like debunk the entire notion of identity like writ large like to say that this is that the ship of theseus is this thing and this other thing which is sort of like how we think about it like from a temporal perspective is just like kind of meaningless because it's you know in his view the world is sort of like that like the like you can't actually parse the language like there's no sense in which this thing this minnow from 1970 is the same as the minnow from 2015 because they're just like they're not like i just said it they don't equal each other right you can't put an equal sign in between them but then also at the on the like the opposite end the second half of that to say that x equals x is like yes the yeah just a tautology as my kids would say to me duh (laughs) (laughs) because this this is wittgenstein the the whole uh linguistic philosopher who mm-hmm. was notably uh, uh, recorded as saying that we only have philosophy because we have an imperfect language. Okay, so are there any other ways to tackle the ship of Theseus paradox? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a pragmatic with a capital P uh, approach. And we haven't talked about pragmatism much on the show today, even though it's a school of thought that I'm a big fan of. But it, w- one of the sort of famous American pragmatists, William James, um, said uh, essentially, I think this is a quote, but it could be a paraphrase. A belief is true if it works for all of us in the long term and guides us expeditiously through our semi-hospitable world. Um, and he talks about the cash value of beliefs and sort of like 
considering true those beliefs which have quote unquote the most cash value or sort of like allow us to get mm-hmm. along in the world so like the you know that to say that this thing is the ship of theseus like that we're, we're going to say that this boat is the ship of theseus when that's the thing that allows us to kind of like get along in the world and and do what we need to do so like um like if you can say like Hey, I just bought this cargo. Go put it on the ship of Theseus. It's, right. it's, it's in the dock, and everyone knows what you mean. That's like the pragmatic or cash like, value. Hey, of... give me a list of people who have ever been captains of the ship of Theseus. Right, right. right. Like mm. the whatever con- whatever um, notion of ship of Theseus it is that allows you to do those kinds of things. Like that's the ship of Theseus. So stop worrying about like whether or not you've taken a bunch of planks off it or like replaced the mass or whatever. Like. If calling this thing that's sitting in the harbor right now the ship of Theseus is the thing that allows you to actually get along in our quote unquote semi hospitable world, which is a phrase that I love, then like that's the that's the thing that you should be calling the ship of Theseus. It's like a. Um, a are you familiar with the term murmuration? No. It's the uh, the description of a, a very uh, florid uh, form of flocking that starlings do. Oh yeah, yeah. It, you, it, I'll put a link in the show notes. But the idea of a flock of birds can be. A uh, hundred birds, a thousand birds. You can take two birds out. You can add two birds in. It still manages right. to su- to support the heuristic that that is a flock. That is a figurative ship of Theseus, without having to be uh, uh, specifically tiled down to its uh, you know constituent parts. And so I think yeah. And so if you think about like how would a pragmatist like deal with this reassembled ship of Theseus? Like I think the reality is that if you think about how that would play out in the real world, we would probably just say like. Oh, yeah, this is the new ship of Theseus, and that's the original ship of Theseus. Or this is the ship of Theseus, and that's, like, the old, like, historical ship of Theseus right, or something. Right. Like, yeah, like, I think that you would, once you're presented with two objects that are similar enough that the original description, the original identity of one of them, like, no longer makes it unique enough that to a pragmatist you can all, like, that it has enough cash value that it's not confusing, then you have to, like make addendums to those identities and one yeah. of them becomes the new ship of theseus or one of them becomes the restored ship of theseus like they one of them you add a modifier to it and it gains its own new unique identity but those two things those two things aren't both referred to as the ship of theseus because it's confusing well right. can i can i give one anecdote where that does you can see actually a case in point of that breaking down um colloquially in in england and english uh england english english um, there's, there's, there's a lot You're of con- Australian, right? Yeah. Is that why? The, is that where the confusion about English culture is coming from here? <laughs> so um, start over. So, so in England, uh, yeah. when I was growing up, there was uh, very much um, uh, this- in Australia. Right? In, in Australia, yeah. Yeah. There, learning was- about English history <laughs> <laughs> through the textbooks, uh, you could. Uh, there's a lot of situations where the same word was used to represent different things. So, a, a VCR was referred to as a video. Oh, I bought, uh, you know, I got a new video uh, under my TV. Check it out. The actual video cassette tape was known as a video. Oh, I need a new blank video because I want to record. English are so and, stupid, man. And if you, and if you <laughs> want to watch, want to watch straight up. A, uh, 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 on MTV a, a new promo for a band's song, that would be a video. Wait, so does Mark think that we that only in, in England did they have this? Are you making a comment about the English language? Or about the English people? Uh, a, little, a little bit of both. <laughs> you think the English because people I, had more, 
like confusion about using the same word for yeah. Because things. here I would go rent a video at the video store, but I would also watch a video on MTV, and those weren't yeah. the same thing. Yeah, is video the only word that was tough? <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there was an austerity during the eighties. We couldn't afford a lot of words in England, right. uh, so that's that's a case in point where blame where, Thatcher. <laughs> Hashtag blame Thatcher. <laughs> Uh, so that, that's a case in point where uh, it, it's a failure of the language and the semantics uh, where you, you wouldn't be able to properly pass it and you, you could have used more uh, right. unique names. She was your guys, Reagan, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who's your Obama? Uh, yeah. I don't even yeah. know who's in power right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sorry, <man>. English listeners. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I think that it, one of the things that's worth talking about or just touching on is that, you know, one of the themes that we come up against, I think, on a pretty, pretty regular basis is that it it seems like it's possible to sort of, like, believe Wittgenstein that, like, the, at, from a very sort of critical or analytic point of view, the concept of identity kind of doesn't make sense because there's no really good way um, to get down to a, a sort of really strong, fine-grained, logical analysis of what makes two things the same thing. But at the same time, we somehow managed to, like, muddle through our semi-hospitable world, you know, despite the fact that Wittgenstein may be right on some level, right? And so that—and it's weird because the pragmatic view is pretty— radical in the sense that it's it's not just the view that yeah Wittgenstein is right when it really comes down to it but you know the pragmatic view will allow us to get along in the world the 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 like true pragmatic view is Wittgenstein is just wrong like that kind of like parsing of the language just leads you a bad place and is like Mm -hmm. and and assumes that language maps to the world in like a really um, specific way and that we can discover things about the world by discovering things about our language so i think that's one of the things you know to to keep in mind as we talk about pragmatism is that it really is the view not just that having this concept uh, that you know this boat sitting in the harbor is the ship of theseus like that's not just like a convenient heuristic the pragmatists would say that actually is like the best version of truth that we can possibly get our hands on and our language just isn't up to describing um, that it's just things. like that's not really like the way to get to truth, like trying to like um, sort of dissect the English language is not like the way to get to the truth about the way the world is. Right. It's, it's a tool that evolved for a wholly different. Reason. But I mean, would, would the yeah. pragmatists and this is a bit of a sidetrack, uh, would they say that that's the case with all human language or is it a specific problem with? English or no, Western no, it's a problem languages. with all natural yeah. language, yeah. yeah. Um, mm. uh, uh, Borges had a, a short story where uh, the character could perceive a color so acutely that he couldn't conceive the fact that there was only a certain number of named proper noun colors because every time he saw the color blue, it was a slightly different shade, and it was unique to that instance, and it couldn't be compared to any other instance of blue because he was like a maybe a tetrachromate, like so uniquely aware of every variation in the world. Right, so he thought the word blue was just... Bit, was meaningless, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's some other stuff we could talk about that I might want to save for a future episode. Um, in particular, you know, this problem it starts to extend to how do we know that uh, a person is the same person over time? Right. 
Why is it, we're all our own little ship of Theseus. Yeah. Is, it, is it seven years, uh, the agreed-upon time span? Oh, well, I mean, man. we can save this for that episode, but, I mean, I went down that rabbit hole pretty early on in, in reading about this, and it's weird because that is a really commonly quoted statistic, seven years or ten years. And from what I could read, that seems to be really inaccurate. Um, there are some people who do averages what you're so i think you yeah let's just summarize right like so there's there's a there's a lot of writing and and articles and whatever out there that talk about the concept that every seven years all the cells in your body are completely replaced or every 10 years or seven to 10 years or whatever um but there's been a lot of research that's been done to disprove that um the cells in your body depending on the type of cell um, get replaced at different rates so like your skin cells replace really quickly i think that your skin like your skin your entire uh epidermis epidermis replaces itself really quickly like over a matter of like mm. weeks i think um some cells take years to, for for like an entire like whatever organ or um Bone. type of type of cell to be replaced and then there are certain cells that um, researchers have proven that don't ever get replaced. So, like your neurons um, never get replaced over the the oh, your right. entire lifetime. Other cells in your brain might get replaced, or you know the mass of your brain increases from birth to adulthood. So things other than neurons, other brain cells are being added, mm-hmm. uh, but your neurons don't apparently ever get replaced. So, like the seven years thing, there's there's some there's some research that shows that that's kind of like the average. But most of the time you come across that statement, it's kind of like your entire, every cell in your body gets replaced every seven to 10 years. And that seems to be pretty, you know, I'm not a biologist, but that seems based on what I read to be pretty inaccurate. Uh, so many of these, these, um, these, these so-called facts uh, are, are created or rephrase for these, uh, for, to meet another agenda. Like the whole idea that, you know, you only use 10% of your brain was... Uh, That's an, great for movies. <laughs> it's great for movies. Well, it was originally created um, to help uh, the, the, the huge growth in self-help books and uh, self-improvement books in the early part of the 20th century, giving someone the idea that there could be a, a goal that they could meet in the future by hmm. buying this book and we've, using we've their resources. slowly slipped into the second half of the show. <laughs> right. So, all right, oh, let's take I it. I can't wait, wait for wait, the second wait. half. Do you want to hear some more boat names? <laughs> okay, uh, four, four of the next best boat names and then we'll hit the mid-show break. Cirrhosis of the river. Okay, I like that one. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Anchor management. Mm, okay. Okay. Uh, wasted semen. Oh no. <laughs> uh, more often than not. K-N-O-T. Boo. Okay. I didn't get the not bit. I just got the more bit. Whoa. <laughs> Whole other level. <laughs> All right. One one last excellent one and then break. Um, sales. S-A-I-L-S. Call. Sales call. There's a whole oh. category of sales <laughs> puns. <laughs> All right. Are these, are these machine generated by any chance? <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. Stiff ripples. <laughs> Is that your porn name? <laughs> have you been enjoying the show so far? And if you have, are you the same person now that was enjoying it earlier? For the sake of this quick break, let's just say you are. Your psychological states are linked, and the same you likes the show. 
the most beneficial thing you can do to help us out is to head over to iTunes and give us a review. And when you're done, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode. Ratings, reviews, and subscriptions are the big things that grow our audience and determine whether the show gets visibility. We really appreciate the support. Now back to the show. Do you guys want to hear some more boat names? <laughs> <laughs> That's a stupid question. That's the dumbest question. Okay, I have, a, I have a whole. Uh, there's a whole category of of puns using the word C S E A. Okay, are you ready? Um, yeah, as long as none of them end with men or include men. No, I'm done I already the, gave you C okay, men. Yeah, no more that. of those ones. C duction. Okay. Yeah. Seize the day. Yeah. Okay. See ya. Yeah. Luna C. Mm. I like the alcohol ones. Currency. Okay. Tipsy. You'll yeah. like that. One. There... That's an alcohol one. Okay. Tipsy. Yeah. Hot, high do, we C? Have another... <laughs> do we have another category that's not C pun? Vitamin C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a buoy category. Okay. Let's I'll go. save okay. that for later. Okay. Why? <laughs> that's, that seems like a rich vein. So while we're on the subject of boat names, mm-hmm. let's talk about the minnow. The minnow. Yeah. The so the minnow is a reference. Uh, I very much enjoyed um, the the reference in the opening uh, for the show to the to the minnow, uh, which was the boat that the castaways got lost on in uh, Gilligan's Island, which apparently Mark's not familiar with. Um, it, it didn't get a lot of play in the Eurozone. Yeah. <laughs> not never never was never aired in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, Mark, Mark. Mark's pretty familiar with most uh, American pop culture references, but apparently not this one. So, is it like a hard break at like nineteen sixty six or yeah, something? something like that? Like, what, what, Wait, so when, you, are you familiar with the like notion of Gilligan's yes, Island? Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm familiar with the, the characters. Okay. Have you the, seen the Brady Bunch? No, that also didn't get really. Played. Yeah, so this is the whole group. Uh, the same, same producer responsible for. Yeah. It. yeah, okay. Yeah, so I mean, this was probably like you were. Pretty young at that. Well, I mean, this is all bef- before this, you were even born, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so it would I mean, like be Chad, ones for you. Too. Yeah, Chad and I watched a boatload of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> um, uh, we watched a lot of Gilligan's Island growing up because we lived in the middle of nowhere and didn't have cable, so we were like at the mercy of broadcast television schedules and. Which I was remember, basically like Gilligan's Island and the Brady, the Mary Bunch Tyler Moore and, Show and Brady Bunch. So and, was yeah. it a humorous lost? Well, this, it's weird. Like as I was, yes. as like I kind of went down a, a Gilligan's Island rabbit hole, and reading the the plot summary and reading like the trivia and how the show got made and like episode summaries, it is weirdly has a lot in in common with with Lost, just in terms of kind of like overall show structure and like some of the weird yeah, I thought that oddities of it. But yeah, that. I thought of that as well. So, anyways, yeah, like the you never saw has it. a Dharma tattoo. It's super <laughs> weird. Uh, there's a polar bear. Um, uh, season three sucked. We didn't talk about J.J. Abrams' book about Ship uh, of Theseus. Yeah, we can get we into can that. Get that. Yeah. Okay, okay right. let's stay on, stay, stay on topic. That, that's, a, that's a good. That's so, a good. You know, Gilligan's Lost. You've JJ. never seen Gilligan's Island, but. And for all the listeners out there who are too young or have never seen it for whatever reason. Or internationally as well. Yeah, it was a, um, a American sitcom from the mid-60s, three seasons, about this uh, crew of seven people who are on like a, a sightseeing tour. Uh, a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour, which it wasn't in the pilot. Oh, really? Yeah, I haven't trivia. seen the pilot. I need to go pilot look that pilot up after wasn't, Pilot wasn't yeah. ever aired. Uh, but then a lot of it was recut into a Christmas special. Hmm. Is that on YouTube? Uh, I think it is, yeah. 
anyway, so seven people stranded on a desert island. Uh, weirdness and adventure and comedy ensues. Um, so, anyways, that's the that's the the minnow was the boat that they right. got lost on. Uh, do they do they still on. have the boat? Yeah, the boat. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. well, that's a recurring theme, right? Is that they still have the boat, but it's wrecked, and um, you know there are, are numerous episodes where they try to repair it via numerous means um, and and fail. But the, the, so the ship is called the Minnow. It's actually called the SS Minnow, which is the f- first interesting thing about it, which is that SS is a designation for steamship, and so the the Minnow should have never been called the SS Minnow in the first place. Um, but uh, most people assume that it's named after the fish. So, like, a, a minnow is, like, a small mm. fish. And it's kind of a bait. small boat. Yeah, it's a small boat. Um, but it's actually named after Newton Minnow, um, who was the uh, uh, chairman of chairman. the FCC yeah. in the early 60s. And um, uh, Sherwood Schwartz, who was the producer of Gilligan's Island and, and also the Brady Bunch, um, another, he was the like show creator. Yeah, like uh, he was I like the show runner just, yeah. is what you would call him now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, in 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 a very famous speech, actually, Newton Minow, the chairman of the FCC, um, described American television as a vast wasteland. Um, and um, uh, Sherwood Schwartz took great offense to this, and so he named the Minow, which was essentially like a little boat that crash on this island like never to be in service again the bane of these seven right. people's existence <laughs> after newton minnow because uh, as a as a sort of like as a kind of like subtle diss uh because he like you know Sherwood Schwartz was responsible for a lot of american television and he was a, a writer for ozzy and harriet and like worked on a bunch of famous shows and so he thought that you know that comment by by newton minnow was um very misguided. Apparently, these guys made up and became friends later in life. Oh, really? I yeah. never, I didn't know that part of the story. Maybe they went on a cruise together. Yeah, well, uh, there was probably like a financial benefit to both of them, which is what the real I think, reason they got together. Well, in the end. You know, one of the things I thought was interesting is that um, Newton Minow uh, once said that like he regretted the fact that the most famous soundbite from that speech was "vast wasteland," and what he really had hoped would be the the most famous or most remembered two words from that speech were public interest um because it was basically a speech about how he felt that um everything on tv sucked so Mm. you know that sentiment's been around for a while i guess but he was basically imploring um the creators of television content to like create more serious like educational informational grown-up stuff so anyway uh, ss minnow named after newton minnow it should have had the designation MV for motor vessel or maybe MY for motor yacht and mm. not the designation SS. I knew you would like this part I, of I am. I, I'm, very, I'm very interested in, in, in seafaring designations. Yeah. So um, just a couple of the random pieces of Gilligan's Island trivia that I came across. So like I said, the the pilot, the original pilot never aired. You know, So for, for those of you who remember the show well or like Chad and I watched a lot of it when we were kids and have kind of like vague, fond, nostalgic memories of it. The original couple episodes in the original episode that aired on broadcast wasn't the pilot. They shot a completely separate pilot that was shot in black and white. Hmm. And three of the cast members were completely different yeah, actors. That. The professor and the two main female yeah. parts were, were recast when they uh, Right, they thought the, the guy who played the professor was too young. 
Um, yeah, I can't remember why. Like both the both of the female parts were both dumb secretaries, and it's kind of I think it, they were like, why do we have two <laughs> right. two parts that are the same? Like the only idea we can come up for female characters are the wife of the rich guy and well what else do women do like oh, <laughs> secretaries well, we need two of them so two secretaries so anyways they, they they recast that but the the other weird thing one of the most memorable things about gilligan's island for me was the theme song which was like this yeah. kind of sea shanty upbeat little tune that kind Would of you like to sing it for no us? i don't want to <laughs> sing it maybe i'll put it at the end of the show because i doubt anybody will flag it but um that kind of like sings the the plot line about, you know, like they go off for this three hour tour and they're shipwrecked and it kind of goes through each of the characters. And, you know, it's kind of like the a throwback. Star. Yeah, it's like a throwback to uh, like sitcom and TV show theme songs where uh, they like describe it isn't just some like pop song that they choose, you know, to like accompany right, the song is like exposition. The song is exposition. Kind of like, like the uh, Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Same, same, right. same kind of thing. Come yeah. a like the Brady Bunch also, like, great yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um but in the pilot, they didn't have that song. And John Williams, who probably everybody knows as the composer for the Star Wars movies and Get like out. all like a bunch of other Lucasfilm stuff, like one of the world's most famous composers and movie composers, did the original uh, theme song for the pilot episode, which is like three minutes long and is twice as much ex- exposition about what's going on in the show. It's basically like a summary of the entire <laughs> show for three minutes and is written in this weird like Caribbean folk Calypso? tune. Yeah, it's written in Calypso style. Um, and it's got this guy who's doing an impression what? of this Calypso <laughs> singer who goes by the name of Sir Lancelot. Who sounds like a rapper, but is obviously not because it was like 40 years before rap came in, came into being. But it is a bizarre... Like you can go find it, and it had like a, it has the whole black and white intro to the show on YouTube, but it is a bizarre. If you know the 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 theme song to Gilligan's Island, like as it aired and broadcast, it is a weird like bizarro universe version of that song, pre John Williams being a famous. Did he film do composer. the one that ended up being the production no, version as well? No, they hired. Somebody <laughs> they else. were like, "Who is this?" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. But it's weird because it, it's yeah. it's like it's clearly when you hear it, you're like, "Yeah, like this is a Caribbean tune." But I'm pretty sure the TV show is set uh, uh, in Hawaii. They leave Hawaii and get lost and are stranded somewhere out in the Pacific. In the South and Pacific, then, yeah. yeah. And this is like this weird Caribbean tune. <laughs> That's hilarious. I did not know. <laughs> wrong wrong ocean. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I know about um, Gilligan's Island is that there's a radio somehow made of coconuts, and at one point they were visited by the Harlem Globe. There is a load of stuff made of coconuts. Yeah. Like, that's another thing about the show is that, like, almost anything you can imagine needing on an island can be, in this universe, made out of coconuts. Except for a boat. Yeah. <laughs> they were visited by the Harlem Globetrotters as well as, go look at the... So this is a, a TV show about seven people being stranded on an island. Go look at the show full cast and crew for the three years that this thing aired. The guest There's stars. like 700 people listed <laughs> because <laughs> every episode, there, magically, there was like some person on the island that wasn't there before. Yeah. And then they leave. And there's like some like random famous people. Um, I think Kurt Russell's 
what was on there when he was like nine or so, something weird. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah, watch Gilligan's Island if you haven't seen yeah. it. Mark, watch Gilligan's Island. It's, also, it's a great show. crazy. I don't know if this was the case for shows back then, but you think about like how many episodes a season of mm. yeah, TV is episodes. now, and it's like thirteen episodes yeah. or uh, you know, twenty twenty two. Some, sometimes it's twenty two, twenty four. Uh, they did ninety some like ninety four episodes of this show. It was on for three years. They did thirty sure. over thirty episodes. Wow. A year, which is like that's bonkers. You know, three fifths of the year this show is on if it's on weekly. Wow. Well, we could talk about Gilligan's Island for do you guys, but but we could also hear some more great boat names. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I thought we were going to the J.J. Abrams book, but okay, this list is seems infinite. (laughs) So maybe we could. There's a there's a whole thematic around buoys. Okay. Yep. Oh, we talked about this. We're in the buoy segment of the show. Play buoy. Mm. Yeah, boy. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's in the top five. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> I think you got to give it. You got to uh, give it some of that. <laughs> yeah, you did a great job. <laughs> I think I think that's clean enough that some some fans maybe had to clip that out and turn it into their <laughs> ringtone. You uh, wanted a new ringtone, now you have it. Uh, boys in the hood. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that might be all of the buoy ones. Well, except for look, there's there there are a couple of prominent themes. One of them is to use naughty from nautical. Okay, and you can combine that with the buoy theme to get naughty boys. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's um. Well, look, that's not the whole We've list. Exhausted but... <laughs> the good stuff in the list. Uh, well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call that the good okay. stuff. But... Are we gonna post the full list on the? In the show notes, show notes? of course. Where where did you compile this list from? Multiple sources. Oh, multiple sources. Okay. Yes. I mean, I mean, look, BuzzFeed supplied perhaps <laughs> a twenty five percent of this list, okay. but I looked at every result Buzzfeed. on the first three pages of Google search results, and there are a lot of duplicates. Don't get me wrong. Um, Unsinkable two shows up a lot. So, so fans of the show, imagine how much better the philosophy research part of the show could be. <laughs> yeah, if, Ch- if Chad didn't spend all his time looking at boat names and I didn't spend the last two days looking at Gilligan's Island trivia. <laughs> so does anybody have anything about like the ship of Theseus? Well, there's the J.J. J. Abrams book that we've referenced a couple yeah. times. Anybody it's actually read S. this book? Yeah. No. So I read the uh, I read the sample. Uh, so if you go to, um, I, I read it on uh, the iBooks uh, iBooks uh, platform because it's very visual. So the the whole concept is it's the book is called S and it's about um, the ship of Theseus, but it's actually three stories layered into to one book. So the 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 if you think of it in, in concentric circles, so the 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 story in the center is uh, the story of the ship of Theseus, written by this this Russian novelist who disappeared uh, many years ago. Um, the the story in the book is a translation in English, so it's like one generation away from the original. Um, and the the translator uh, is providing uh, notations, annotations to his translation, so his commentary on his translation and the original story. And then uh, the outermost layer is a conversation in marginalia, so like uh, comments written in the margins in the book between by, like two people, by two people, yeah. by by a professor and a, a student who never communicate other than making comments in the book as they're both reading it, like uh, the the student for the first time, and, and the, the and the book is produced as if it's like 
physically produced as if it's an object from the world. Yeah, this is why we haven't read it. The story takes place. Yeah, and I can't imagine like like twenty one ninety nine on Amazon right now. Oh really? I can't follow our Amazon affiliate link. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't imagine that the iBooks version is is as uh, satisfying a read as the the physical version because it is kind of like an object from the world. And there's things there's like maps or other like. but like articles of there's, there's ephemera there's envelopes yeah. you can pull yeah. out but there's also like so I, but J.J. Abrams didn't actually like write this book no right. it was written by a guy called he just sort of like uh, Doug Dord came up with the idea yeah, yeah. Wait, so are we going to talk about Star Wars or is it just about this <laughs> book um, wait can I so but seriously does what? anybody have anything about the ship of Theseus or like the um, origins I, I, of this actual like problem? <laughs> or is, or is I, it just like, a, <laughs> welcome to You've Got It All Wrong, our yeah. pop culture podcast? I, I, I have two things. One of them is uh, a great video by um, the, the media theorist uh, Clay Shirky, who uh-huh. talks about a story of a, uh, a Japanese Shinto temple in, in Ise, I-S-E, in central Japan, which was trying to get um, a, a landmark status uh, for being over 600 years old, so over a millennia and a half old. Um, and it's made of, of wood and bamboo and straw. And uh, the official body in Japan was saying, like, yeah, you, this isn't this building hasn't been here for 1,600 years. We're not going to give you status. Uh, and the, the, the Shinto monks were going, oh, no, no, it's really been here. Like, look at our records. And they're like, dude, it's made of straw and wood. It didn't last for <laughs> 1,600 yeah. years. And they said, well, no, obviously, like, every 20 years, the most recent time this happened was 2013, every 20 years, we just tear it to the ground and we go into the forest over there and we build a new one. Well, that's like, right. p- and that's part of, like, this, like, spirituality of it, right? Like, yeah. the fact that it is rebuilt well, right. on a continuous and, but basis. But I think the interesting thing about this, because I, I, I came across this story as well, is that the notion of identity is really culturally specific in that case in that the identity of that temple has to do with both the process of rebuilding it as well as the specific forest they go to to get the wood to rebuild it so it's it's the process it's the sacred location of this Mm. forest where they get where they get the wood the timber from to build this um this temple that gives the temple its identity um and its meaning to the to um to the to the monks um, as opposed to like the the atoms and the molecules and the mm. specific matter that yeah. it was originally constructed out of the planks in the in the ship yeah. of Theseus, I, I, w- um, I would go problem. as far as saying that the, the the temple has always been there. It's just one like you step over an imaginary line, you're in a sacred place. You step back away from that line, you're in the mundane space, and the wood is there purely as an artifact to denote that you're moving between those two spaces. The temple itself is just the three-dimensional space inside the the framework so was it there before they built it the first time infinitely old yeah well maybe not infinitely but (laughs) yeah that's another podcast so did it get historical (laughs) status um i think so yeah Yeah. Uh, so the video goes on to talk about how open source is equally a way of expressing a an identity uh, around a form of how um, code and systems are built and maintained by people as a community, which are very loosely defined as opposed to like a, a commercial or, or corporate entity, right. saying like this is this is this is the way it is because you know we have patents or so forth. So it's a great video. Put it in the show notes. Awesome. Um, the, the only other piece I found about Theseus um, was um, an incident uh, before he got, went and killed a minotaur when he was um, down in Hades. Um, uh, Ugh, yeah, which was uh, another great story. Um, but I didn't realize this. He uh, he sat in the chair of forgetfulness when he was um, <laughs> down there, and oh, I'm sitting in that chair right now. <laughs> and and he 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 was um, uh, melded 
uh, to that chair. Like part of the the art, part of the, the the problem with this chair is you sit in and you kind of like become enmeshed with the fabric of it. And his buddy who was down there, um, uh, the only way he could get it's made in, out of fabric. What? It's made, you said enmeshed with the fabric of it? Yeah, enmeshed with the fabric of the chair. Yeah. The Where does this chair exist? In, in Hades. Hades. Seems like a bad <laughs> material to choose for construction. Well, it's it, flame resistant. Magic. <laughs> ma- okay, yeah. So the the only way he could get him out of this chair was ripping his Dupont. flesh away that had been joined by this chair. Ouch. And and as a result, he what? left he left his, his, his buttocks, the flesh of his buttocks He's still naked? attached to this chair. Well, like, yeah, because it meshed with his body as well. Well, yeah, but... Just, like, burned through all yeah, the Naked butt was... Oh, okay. Yeah, so, like, he ended up, you know, going home to, to Athens uh, with no butt. Buttless. Which, which explains <laughs> the story tells why, why people from Athens have no butt, apparently. What? What? what that? I've never heard of that story. <laughs> hey, you guys have heard of the story of uh, Athenians got no butt, right? <laughs> Here's where it came from. Athenians, they, they'd be walking like this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I got some stuff about minotaurs and whatnot, but <laughs> I, I, I got I got one other thing, and, and this is uh, consider this a, a teaser for our, our, our Wittgenstein episode. But um, uh, yes, uh, a couple a couple of pieces I found. Um, uh, Wittgenstein studied as an assistant under Bertrand Russell, the, the noted philosopher. Oh yeah, uh, he went in. He got he had an interview with Bertrand Russell, and he went in, uh, and what would be a you know a long lengthy um, interview process was was curtailed by. Uh, Wittgenstein handing uh, Bertrand Russell a single sheet of paper with a single sentence written on it, and he he got the job of his assistant right there. And nobody knows what was written on that piece of paper. Uh, this, yeah, I mean, this is the mo- perhaps the most famous rivalry uh, among professional philosophers of the 20th century is the is Russell versus Wittgenstein. Our, our episode on Wittgenstein will be almost entirely about his relationship. I think the paper said say my name. <laughs> 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 uh, also, also, Wittgenstein gave away his uh, quite uh, um, uh, uh, sizable fortune, which he inherited, and he set up um, an apartment furnished just with deck chairs, and for the rest of his life, never wore a tie. <laughs> Stay tuned for like, two things related. Because <laughs> he was like beach life, baby. No ties. I'm gonna wear these boogie oh, that board reminds shorts me of being on a boat. Deck. Do you yeah. guys want to hear some boat names? <laughs> <laughs> sure. I've got a couple of food related ones that sort of go together. Okay. Fish and chicks. Mm. Uh, I think. <laughs> Campbell's sloop. <laughs> yeah. right. uh, Mark likes it. That's, that's some deep cut of boat terminology. Like that's all that only works if your name's also Campbell. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. That's what all. A- that actually might be the entire list. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm gonna. Can, can I come out this weekend and spend some time in your sloop? <laughs> Am I Campbell sloop? Sure. <laughs> I think that's probably all the audience can endure. That's all the terrible good stuff, boat at least, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think so, yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that wraps it up for this episode. Thanks for listening. Oh, wait, hold on. I have some more boat names. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Uh, thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the show and give us a rating on iTunes. You can find us online at you'vegotitallwrong.net, where you can find show notes for today's episode as well as links to all of the other shows. You can also send us email to feedback at you've got it all wrong.net with questions, comments, or recommendations for show topics. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, follow the show, and tweet at us at allwrongpodcast, or follow us individually. I'm at 
M. Saunders. I'm at Chad Allen. And I'm at Paco Allen. In tropical sea is a tropic port. Vacation fun is the favorite sport. This is the place where the tourists flock, renting the boats at the busy dock. Two secretaries from USA sail on a mino this lovely day. A high school teacher is next aboard, all taking trips that they cannot afford. The next two people are millionaires. They got no worries, they got no cares. They climb aboard and they step inside with just enough bags for a six-hour ride. Tourists come, tourists go. Tourists touring to and fro. These five nice tourists, they take this trip. Relaxing on deck on this little ship. The weather is clear and the sun is hot. The weather is clear? I think it is not. Tourists come, tourists go. Tourists tossing to and fro. The captain is brave, he's... Caramba! What a storm! The captain is brave, he's a fearless man, and Gilligan helps him all that he can. The wheel she break and lose all control, SS Mino do the rock and roll. The sea is now calm and the weather grand, where is the Mino upon the sand? What happened now will bring you a smile, the adventures of Gilligan and the skipper and the millionaire and Mrs. Millionaire and the other tourists on Gilligan's Island.